Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. We are back from our summer hiatus, and this week we'll be updating you on the creation of new cardinals that was announced this weekend, as well as the fires in the Amazon rainforest and an update on Cardinal George Pell's appeal case. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. For our first story today, Pope Francis announced this weekend that he would be making 13 men cardinals in October, including three Jesuits, one of whom runs the Vatican's Office for Migrants and Refugees. Uh, Now, we'll get into who these men are in a moment, but there was an interesting detail that happened just before the Pope made this announcement. Jerry, can you tell us about that? Well, every time he comes to give the Sunday greeting and they say the Angelus, he he arrives spot on 12 o'clock. This Sunday, he didn't. And people began wondering and wondering and wondering. And the window was there. The cameras were focused on the window. No Pope. And then when he finally arrived, he said, I'm sorry, excuse me for being delayed, but I was blocked in the lift for 25 minutes. And it's only thanks to the firemen that I've been able to get out. There's some amusement here because of this parallel between his pre-conclave speech and what actually happened to him on Sunday. Before he became Pope, in his famous speech to the cardinals before they went into conclave, he said, in the book of Revelation, his last book in the Bible, says Jesus is at the door and knocks. He said, obviously the text refers to his knocking from the outside in order to enter, but I think about the times in which Jesus knocks from within so that we let him out. And people say, very curious, here he was with a message to give to the people and can't get out. So he's knocking from inside to get out. (laughs) Well, I heard some people saying that this is the first time in six years of his papacy that the Pope has had 25 minutes of peace and silence. (laughs) (laughs) So let's uh, talk a little bit about the cardinals who were announced after the Pope's uh, elevator delay. You know, one thing that's worth looking at with these appointments is how they'll affect the makeup of the College of Cardinals. These are the men who will vote for the next Pope. Um, Francis added a number of Europeans this time. I'm wondering, you know, how is this different from his choice of cardinals before? This group of cardinals, uh, he, he, he explained very clearly the rationale behind his choices. He said, these, they reflect the church that goes out, in other words, the missionary church. And it's significant that many of them come from religious orders who've had missionary experience uh, or who are engaged in missionary work. And so he's, uh, Francis is sticking very closely to what he said in that programmatic document right at the beginning of his pontificate, the joy of the gospel, Evangelia Gaudium. And uh, he's taken this solidly into the College of Cardinals by naming people from the peripheries and this time round naming people who are also part of that church that goes out, not the church that stays inside navel-gazing. <laughs> right. So let's talk about where some of these people come from. Um, I know that We had six Europeans, we have two people from Latin America, one from Asia, one from Africa. What does this do to the makeup of the College of Cardinals? Well, well, let's unpack it a little. I've written six Europeans, but if you count Michael Cerny, the Jesuit, 
he was born in Czechoslovakia, a country now that is broken in two, but he really grew up and uh, had all his education, etc., in Canada mm-hmm. and in the United States. So he's as much a North American in many ways as European. He's he's European by birth, but just as, for example, when Kevin Farrell was made cardinal, he was born in Ireland, but he was made cardinal when and was classified as an American cardinal. So. You have to examine carefully. Right. I think it's easy for us to, uh, you know, look at the statistics really quickly and not get a sense of where these guys are coming from and how this relates to the Pope's larger vision. And I want to get into that a little bit later with you. Um, Right now, I'm wondering about, you know, how this changes the group of electors, right? He named a few people who are not eligible to elect a pope because they're over the age of 80. Um, I'm kind of wondering how this affects what the College of Cardinals looks like right now. The College of Cardinals today has 228 members. A hundred of those are over the age of 80, so not eligible to vote in in a conclave, if a conclave were held tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But this does not mean they do not have a role to play as we saw in the last conclave, and as my book uh, pointed out, over 80s can influence quite a bit the conclave because they kn- they have more experience, many of them. They know more people often. And so they can tell the electors before they go in, you know, this is one you should be taking account of. This is one where there's a big problem with And so they can really influence. So I would not discard this hundred. Of course, some of them are very old and will never be at a conclave, but uh, a sizable number will be. The number of electors today is 128. So if you had a conclave in the morning, you'd have 128 electors. The last time, more than half of the electors were European, and Italians had 28. This time, less than half of the electors will be European, 56 out of 128 right now. And of those, the Italians have 23. So their numbers have reduced. So too have the European numbers reduced. And you mentioned that there's 23 Italians. There would be 23 Latin Americans as well, which I think is probably... A pretty significant shift. Yeah, you will have 23 Latin Americans. But if you think that half the world's Catholics are in Latin America and a small percentage are in Italy. Right, right. We've got a ways to go. Yeah, we've got a ways to go. But Pope Francis has increased the number of Latin Americans, increased the number of Africans, you now have 17, increased the number of Asians, you now have 16. So in the new conclave, the balance will have shifted outside Europe in terms of electoral numbers. Yeah, I think that it's um, really interesting how we can see that the men that the Pope names cardinals kind of reflects a lot of what his priorities are. Um, You mentioned Michael Cerny, who has been working with migrants and refugees in the Vatican. Um, One of the other names that stuck out to me was Archbishop Ayuso Guixo, who uh, heads up the Vatican's interreligious dialogue work. Um, what What does his inclusion in the College of Cardinals tell us about Pope Francis's priorities? So the Pope, by 
appointing a top expert in Islam as head of the Vatican office and now making him cardinal is stating very clearly this is a very important issue for the church. It's an important issue in my pontificate. And uh, it's also interesting that he made Michael Fitzgerald, the English cardinal, who is over 80, but who was, in fact, head of that same office when Benedict XVI became pope. But obviously, uh, he, he was not the flavor of the day at that time. And he, he's a top expert in Islam. And so the Pope is sending a lot of signals here that the dialogue with Islam is fundamental. I think that another thing that was interesting was how, you know, Francis continues to choose men who kind of follow his model of simplicity. And he also chose this time Matteo Zuppi, who is Bishop of Bologna and who's part of the Sant'Egidio community, which is a like lay service organization. Archbishop Zuppi is really a priest of the street. When he was in Rome, he, he was the first priest from the Sant'Egidio community. He is a man, extraordinarily humble man, very bright man, very learned man, but you would never know he keeps that aspect of his life undercover, as it were. But he's really worked with the poorest of the poor in Rome. What do you mean by he keeps it undercover? He's a man who has a very important profile in the peace, the human rights field, but especially the connection with the poor. He has known Francis for a long, long time. There are some people who, when they have a university degree or when they gain qualifications, they like to show that they're learned. He doesn't. He's like the Pope. He uses very simple street language. He connects with the people on the street. He goes around in a bicycle. And he has been a man of dialogue from the beginning, a man with the poor and for dialogue and peace. He helped to broker the peace in Mozambique in 1992. And earlier in last month, in August, when they signed a definitive peace treaty in Mozambique, he was there together with the presidents of South Africa, of Mozambique, of other countries. I, I think Pope Francis, the 13 men he has chosen, are people who reflect his idea of what a bishop should be, what a priest should be. Uh, this bishop from Luxembourg, another Jesuit, Hollerich, he spent, I don't know, is it 14 or 17 years of his life working in Japan, and he's emerging as really one of the leading bishops now in Europe, and he's challenging the populists. Uh, he's a very reflective man, very like Francis in many ways. So it sounds like there will be a lot of really interesting new cardinals joining the college in October who are kind of in the Francis mold, and that they'll have a significant amount of influence. Um, so we'll keep our listeners posted on the developments with these men when they officially become cardinals early next month.
For our second story, the world has been shocked by images of these huge fires in the Amazon rainforest, which produces 20% of the world's oxygen and is home to 10% of the world's biodiversity. These fires were initially set to clear land to make room for farming and livestock, which comes amidst a lot of deforestation, which has been ramping up since Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro took office. Uh, Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, recently made the fires a central focus of the international G7 summit. Over this past weekend, Pope Francis also made a broader call for action on the climate emergency ahead of two major conferences on climate change. He said that the forthcoming UN Climate Action Summit is of particular importance. That summit is aimed at accelerating actions to implement the Paris Agreement. Jerry, Pope Francis issued a statement on the fires uh, when they first started gaining international attention, and he said... Let us pray that with the commitment of all that they will be brought under control quickly, that forest lung is vital for our planet. The Pope has been petitioning world leaders for years to take action on the climate crisis. I remember when he gave President Trump a copy of Laudato Si, his encyclical on the environment and care for the poor. Um, so when he talks about the commitment of all here, who do you think he has in mind? Well, f- first and foremost, I, I think he's referring to the president of Brazil, who has a big responsibility. Uh, Remember, we're talking about 80,000 fires this year alone. Right, which is the highest it's been since like 2011. Yeah. The, The point is that the new president of Brazil has stopped enforcing many of the restrictions on the clearing of the forest lands. He's obviously doesn't, maybe a little like President Trump, he doesn't really believe uh, that much that all this is damaging the whole of humanity's uh, breathing and uh, the the climate. It's quite possible. Eh? From some of the things he's said, you, you get the feel that he's much on the same track. I think what we see here is, you know, Bolsonaro, much like President Trump here, uh, prioritizing kind of the economic interests of his country over maybe this broader commitment to preserving the environment for the rest of humanity. It's a myopic vision. It's a myopic vision because you're looking for uh, money today but you're forgetting what the cost will be tomorrow. Yeah, and we know that uh, Bolsonaro is paying attention to uh, what Francis and what the church have been planning in the Amazon region, and that he's not happy with it. Um, He's accused some Catholic-backed groups of setting these fires because they oppose his plan to develop the rainforest. These groups uh, deny that. And, you know, they also seem to be worried specifically about the upcoming synod on the Amazon, which is expected to address the issues that indigenous people and the poor face as a lot of corporations come and develop and deforest the Amazon. Uh, There was even a question of the government spying on some of the more, quote unquote, progressive bishops involved in the synod back in February. Jerry, why do you think that this, this synod particularly bothers the Bolsonaro government so much? Because it's touching directly on the Amazon's region. It will address the fact that there's exploitation of the Amazon for economic reasons, ignoring the damage it is doing to the environment and to the, to the wider world. And it, it will be very strong on this. I think it is very important for outlets like ours to say that married priests is not the main issue of this synod. The the main issues are much different. And to allow it to be uh, sidelined onto that issue is really to reduce it in in, in a way that's to the benefit of those who are 
stoking the fires. Yeah, I think that, you know, these fires in particular are kind of a wake-up call, especially to the U.S. media, about how how urgent these other questions hanging over this region are. And, and how many indigenous leaders have been killed mm-hmm. who, who are working on, on this area? Right. We talked uh, back in our preview episode when we were going over the working document on the Amazon about how, you know, this is about so much more than married priests. This is about deforestation. This is about really rapid urbanization and the divides between rich and poor that that can create. It's it's a whole bunch of issues that this uh, Senate is going to focus intensely on. Last story today uh, is an update from Australia, where Cardinal George Pell's appeal over his conviction of sexually abusing a child was rejected on August 21st. The Cardinal's lawyers had argued that there was insufficient evidence for the outcome that was reached, and that appeal was rejected two to one. Cardinal Pell remains in prison, and he plans to appeal to Australia's high court, which will be his last chance to appeal. Um, Throughout all of this, the Vatican is conducting its own investigation into Cardinal Pell, and they're interviewing all of his alleged victims, not just from this case that's before the Australian courts, but from several other cases that have been filed as well. And they're also going through all of the public information from his trials. Jerry, I wanted to ask you, um, do we have some sort of precedent? Do we know how long an investigation like this is likely to take? We do not. Uh, And the, the reality is we don't even know... One, if the high court accepts his appeal, if it does, uh, from sources I've heard from, they say that uh, judges will decide this perhaps before the end of the year to accept. And then they would listen to the appeal next year, perhaps the first half, and they may not even give the result until the second half of next year. So the timeline on all of this is really conjecture at this point. Got it. Uh, In terms of the Vatican's own investigation, they have said, uh, following the August 21 decision by the appeal court's judges, they have said the Vatican waits until the civil justice has completed its work. I think we're, we're talking in terms of years, not months. We should mention that the victim in this case, who has remained unnamed throughout all of this, uh, issued a statement after the appeal was turned down, saying that he's glad that the appeal process was allowed to be carried out, and that although his faith has taken a beating, he still holds on to it, and he hopes that this process is over now. But Cardinal Pella plans to appeal to the High Court one more time, uh, though it isn't clear yet whether the court will choose to hear the appeal. You can follow all of Jerry's coverage of that story at americamagazine.org. Jerry, thanks so much for uh, explaining so many of the details of all these stories today. I I really have missed doing the show with you. I appreciate the chance to get back into it. Thank you, Colleen. And uh, it's good to be back on the air, as I said. Much more to say in the coming weeks. Yes, you will leave for Africa tomorrow on a papal visit. And we are going to cover that next week. Uh, So stay tuned for that on Inside the Vatican. Inside the Vatican is produced by America Media at our William J. Loeschert studio in New York City. Our executive producer is Eloise Blondio. Our news producer is Kevin Clark. Our audio engineer is Tucker Redding. Inside the Vatican is mixed by Noah Levinson. Our studio manager is J.R. Kronheim. 
You can find in-depth and up-to-date Vatican coverage at americamagazine.org or follow us on Twitter at americamag. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next week.